Welcome to the MK Performance Mini-Series. In this series called the Triathlon Blueprint for All Abilities, we host a range of experts from performance psychologists, exercise physiologists, strength and conditioning coaches, and loads more. Each episode is designed to be roughly 40 to 60 minutes of actionable takeaways that you can go and implement into your own training program, no matter where you're at in your triathlon or endurance sports space. The aim is to give you everything you need to understand and action to maximize your performance with none of the stuff you don't. We have been so lucky to secure some excellent speakers and can't wait for you to listen in. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. All right, thanks so much for coming on, Scott, and being a part of this new series, which I guess is all about talking to experts like yourself and finding nuggets of gold on topics that are relevant and applicable to all abilities in triathlon and the endurance sports space. Hey, first of all, are you able to give the listeners a bit of a background in your career and role in strength and conditioning? Uh, And also, how did you get into what kind of athletes you work with? Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on, Matt. Um, I started out of my strength and conditioning career in 2009 um, doing an internship with what was in New Zealand Academy of Sport, which um, very quickly after that became High Performance Sport New Zealand. Um, and that was in my final year of my undergraduate paper. Uh, due to the kind of climate of strength and conditioning in New Zealand at the time, there wasn't many strength coaches and strength and conditioning coaches around. Uh, and pretty quickly I got employed to one, just man the gym floor and then eventually um, uh, lead some programs and assist a whole lot of other programs. Um, kind of 2012, I got my first major lead gig leading the Black Six Men's um, hockey team strength and conditioning program um, and sports science program. And I led that uh, program for 10 years before I um, moved into the Auckland cricket role, which I've got currently. Um, kind of through my time um, with with the Black Six and with High Performance Sport New Zealand, I also did a master's degree um, looking at sports science, GPS metrics within hockey, um, and applications to our training to our training environment. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's basically kind of my strength and conditioning journey uh, of over the last couple of years, working with some contracting uh, with some, you know as a contractor. S and C with um, athletes that don't necessarily have access to high performance sport New Zealand services or um, or other services. Um, it doesn't really exist in New Zealand that kind of uh, remote S and C help. Uh, so kind of opened myself up to delving into that world, and then that's how I came to be able to help you be be a part of your program. Um, and yeah, so that, that was kind of how I got into the uh, S&C side of things from an endurance sport side of things. Um, I've always been a bit of an athlete, an athlete myself, playing water polo growing up and uh, played for New Zealand men and many years for the North Harbour men's team. Um, but before, when I was at high school, I was also delving into the, the school triathlon route um, and competed in all the secondary school triathlon, aquathon, duathlon championships, multi-sport championships, following in the footsteps of um, my older brother, Ben, um, who who was a fairly handy triathlete 
um, an Ironman himself. Um, so yeah, that that was that was what kind of delved me into the endurance side of things, um, and then just always kind of had a passion for not just the strength part of the strength and conditioning job, but this the end conditioning part as well, and diving into the sports science and stuff. And I think that's what probably a lot of strength and conditioning coaches don't do is they're focused too much just on the S and not enough on the C and the on the conditioning side of things and the benefits of um, being really fit and strong for your sport. Yeah. Awesome. That's, um, it's a pretty, pretty awesome summary and, and it's, it's cool that you've got um, that balance of working with, you know, um, so many, a, a range of different athletes as well. Um, which is cool. So yeah, you and I have done some work together and, and uh, you've provided some, some, valuable assistance for me as as an athlete and in my space which is which has been awesome and it's um yeah which we'll talk talk to very soon um just real quick what do you what do you do to keep yourself fit at the moment like how do you go about about keeping yourself um you know yeah uh, ticking the box of enjoyment and and also um you know maintaining what you want to maintain yeah, so I guess first and foremost, as well as being a strength and conditioning coach, I'm a father to four, um, all uh, eight or eight through the 11 months. So uh, that's, I'm as well as, you know, my, my, my job, um, as well as carting them around sporting events and coaching, coaching their sport. So basically, I, I kind of have around about an hour a day for, for exercise, and I prioritise that hour a day. Um, and I just do a combination of, uh, of strength training and conditioning training. Um, basically, I'll do three to four gym workouts a week, strength power-based, um, and I'll do three to four running-based workouts a week, um, ranging between, um, typically between um, my running workouts between 30 and 30 and 60 minutes, and then occasionally I'll throw in a, throw in a longer one um, to, to kind of just make sure I'm hitting that that long, slow aerobic systems and, and also just really pushing myself on those opportunities where I do have 90 minutes or two hours, I, I jump on them and, and try to throw in a long run. Um, me and my wife are training towards just doing the Queenstown Marathon together uh, later this year, which will be really fun. Um, I've never done a, a competitive marathon before. I've, I've gone further than the distance in a fundraising event um, in a charity fundraiser for Movember where I ran 63 case um but uh, never never done the marathon for time so would like to have an okay time at that i'm not a not a competitive runner by any means um i'm still i'm trying to make sure i'm not losing too much body weight so i'm sitting at around that 87 88 kilo mark um with my three to four strength workouts and my three to four runs a week yeah, cool, mate. I mean, what's what was what's highlighted for me hugely in the fact of us working together is your ability to be able to um, look at time and that be be a crucial factor in the programming of the work that you you give an athlete. And I think that speaks to what you just summarised there around you know father of four children and um, still being able to do do what you want to do and what you need to do and get the, the valuable, um, you know, gains out of basically what you're striving for. So, and, and I think, you know, in the endurance space, um, a lot of what the athletes are doing at the moment is can, this 
part of the whole strength gets neglected and and uh, yeah your ability to be able to find that and plot it into a program um it's just proven to me that it's it's completely doable and doing it in the right right way is um has proven to be successful so um yeah i guess getting straight into it like um what is the goal of strength and conditioning and, tri- and let's talk about triathlon specifically what do you what do you see the goal of yeah strength and conditioning and triathlon yeah so i see it as a there's a it's an important part of it um but the the first part of the, the most important part is that the strength and conditioning training should shouldn't be taking away from your triathlon training um so it needs to be done in a really effective way that doesn't then cause fatigue or stop um the you know limit the adaptation from other key sessions um is the first priority uh to me um and i, I I'll, I'll elaborate on that later but i achieve that through a thing called um minimum effective dose training um but this, from the strength and strength and conditioning side of things, the actual programming and, and the importance of it for triathlon is kind of threefold to me. Uh, one is running mechanics and economy, um, and making sure that we're training robust systems that allow our running mechanics to stay strong under fatigue. Uh, two is uh, overall muscle balance and postural um, stability, and making sure that some of those long positions that we're in don't lead to an overuse injury um, or, you know, an, an injury from neglect to a certain area that we're just kind of forgetting about. Um, so just kind of looking at that muscle balance or uh, muscle balance is a, is a weird phrase. I actually, I prefer the term robustness, making sure that our bodies, um, body's robust and can handle you know a, a seven hour bike ride in, in a position and then go go for a run after it and we don't kind of break down in any area because we've been slightly too um flexed in one position and and then our body's a bit tight going into the run and, and we you kind of create a compensation strategy um and that causes a potential overuse injury over time um so yeah more that robustness side of things and then the third the third point from the strength and conditioning side of things is around a slight increase in your max strength ability and i'm not talking that we need 200 kilos on a bar on our shoulders um but just having a little bit more strength in the tank allowing us to then operate when we're operating in a, and we're running and, and when we're cycling, swimming, operate at a lower percentage of our max ability. So what I mean by that is if we, if you use it as a running term, if you can, if you can sprint at 36K per hour uh, and running at 20K per hour um, becomes rel- a little bit easier. Um, compared to if your max speed is only 31k per hour, then running at 20k per hour is, is running at 70% of your max speed. Um, so if you can shift the ceiling of your max speed in this case or strength and from the strengths case by a little bit, then your operational kind of long distance operational cadence and stuff is at a lower percentage of your max ability meaning it's a little bit easier compared to what you're capable of. And then it gives you room in the tank to then if you need to apply more force and if you need to apply, you know, grunt up a hill or do some big gear work and or really accelerate into the last couple of Ks with the run, um, that you've got that room in the tank. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's um, those three points around that you just made, like the running mechanics, the being able to be robust as such, and and trying to lift the bar on that um, muscular strength stuff are just they all sound amazing. But the big question is how how do we fit those into a program where we're still trying to get fitter faster across again not just one sport we're, we're trying to put it into three sports as well as try and find those three um main points that you've just talked about and try and be better across all of those i guess that's the the number one question right without yeah. detriment of um one hindering another right yeah 100 percent. and that's and that's where that minimum effective dose kind of strategy comes in trying to find the lowest amount of strength and conditioning work that we can do for the maximum adaptation. And if we're only doing the lowest amount of strength and conditioning work, we need that amount to actually positively make that adaptation without negatively hindering our rest of our training or causing an increase overall increase in fatigue. Um, And uh, the minimum effective dose is a strategy used from medicine where they're trying to find the lowest effective dose of you know a certain medicine panadol to to reduce pain because you don't want to throw too much medicine in the body um mm. and it's a strategy that's been used and now in strength and conditioning so if we uh to do three to four sets of an exercise um we could achieve 99 percent of the adaptation or maybe 96 percent of the adaptation that we might achieve by doing 10 sets of an exercise but the 10 sets of an exercise, which might give you the 100% of the adaptation that you're after, also comes with a, a negative effect of fatigue. Um, and, you know, fitness is performance, uh, performance is fitness minus fatigue. And that increases the fatigue. So it decreases our performance and our decreases our ability training load through the day. So it's about finding that balance of that minimum effective dose that we can achieve in the strength and conditioning realm. And for triathlon, I think, especially endurance triathlon i think there's times where two to three 40 minute well-structured strength sessions a week um is going to easily give you that minimum effective dose and then when there's periods of higher need and peaking and going into uh, the final two months before a key race then i think it only needs to be two to three 15 to uh, two not three, two 15 to 25 minute workouts a week to maintain that ability. But what you do need at some stages, you do need that first base load program a long time out from your key race where you build strength and conditioning into your routine and you learn how to cope and train with the added slight load of strength and conditioning work in your program. And then you once you've developed a robust ability to handle that week in week out that's when you can drop that down to 15 to 30 minutes 15 to 25 minutes twice a week and that and you can maintain those adaptations quite comfortably for eight to 12 weeks while you're upping your intensity and your volume um preparing for your preparing for your big big race yeah and uh, i think you know those two phases that you talked about, let's talk about the first one and, and we'll talk about what that could look like specifically in terms of examples of movements and, and things like that. But the first one is yep. like you talked about having that, that, that sort of base around a longer strength, um, strength program in your, in your week somewhere. Uh, and the second one being 
being slightly shorter in terms of duration and it's it's more of a maintenance kind of tool that you tap into for twice a week for 15 to 20 minutes and and you know in those later stages of preparing for a race we're, we're time poor anyway um and like you talk about we don't want to add extra fatigue to the system uh that's going to compromise uh either another session later in that day um or the next the next day so yeah i guess delving straight into it like what do you what do you talk about i mean what are you referring to when when we look at those two and the difference between those two and and how how what do they look like um yeah particularly between the two of them yeah so first of all neither of the two are at all have 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 any intensity really that in terms of heart rate intensity and exertion. We're not talking a CrossFit circuit um, or an F45 circuit that leaves you, that leaves you taxed out. Um, we're trying to go, all right, get some, some strength adaptation with high periods of rest in the program um, and, and move on to the rest of our training. Uh, so mm. in that 40-minute workout or in the 30-40-minute workout or in the 15-20-minute workout, the work to rest ratio is, is probably one to four. Um, you know, you might, you might achieve eight to 10 minutes of work in the 40 minutes max. Um, and then the rest of the time you're resting and just preparing for the next exercise. And we're not operating at extremely high loads either. We're, we're just trying to just almost raise the, raise the ceiling of our max strength just by lifting the, by lifting the floor almost rather than raising the ceiling. So we're not trying to operate at that 90% maximum strength and doing heavy lifts that tax the nervous system. Um, you know, we, we're going about it by raising the floor of what an easy lift is. Um, which, so often, the- which often is actually quite hard for an athlete to get their head around, right? Because typically let's talk about any, you know, session that we go into, we, we like to feel exerted. We like to feel like our heart rates come up a little bit. Um, even if it's just at that, sort of zone one, zone two, aerobic zone, um, the satisfaction of feeling like we've done some work is good. And then, you know, what we what you're just describing now is like there's, there's basically zero intensity. There's, there's not much of an increase on the heart rate. So the, the whole um, satisfaction of having a session done is quite hard to comprehend, right? Yeah, 100%. And that's where, that's where the, you need to have that, positive understanding of what the effect of the session is if because otherwise if you go oh well i'm not i don't really get much out of the session because i'm not feeling exerted and then i and i can easily skip it um you know so you need to so that's where you need to understand the benefit of the session and the benefit of the overall intensity of the session being quite low but that doesn't mean that the exercise intensity can't be moderate to, to, to hard for, for that for the exercise that you're doing. So we, you might be doing five reps of a single leg goblet squat to a bench. And the exercise mm. intensity of that exercise might be a seven or an eight out of 10, but you're only doing it for 15 seconds to 20 seconds. And then you're resting or you're moving on to another stability exercise or an exercise another exercise but you're taking a lot of rest in between the exertion of that 15 to 20 seconds on that single leg squat before you go back and do it again for the next time got it yep yep yeah cool um yeah so so having understanding as to why you're doing it and and what you're doing it for and then so so that was that's kind of an inclusive example of let's say that base 
base phase, right? Is there anything else that you could talk to what might be included in, in that kind of you know, pre-race kind of phase? Yeah, so, so the pre-race phase to me is those 15 to 20 minute workouts um, where you're, you're looking across key areas in your body that need, um, that need robustness and resilience leading into your race and key areas that could break down. Um, for example, calves and hamstrings um, and, and that could break down and rotator cuffs that could break down with swimming. And just going, well, I can apply a little bit of stimulus to these to help keep them robust. They're achieving, they're getting a lot of, t- they're getting a lot of work on the road. They're getting a lot of work on the bike. But if I can just help maintain a little bit of tissue tolerance, a little bit of tendon tolerance and, and, and loading in and trying to load in and around the tendons, um, then I think we can maximize, uh, you know, our training output with our, with our endurance stuff without risking an, an injury in those key areas where an injury could really derail a program. Mm. Uh, so you're looking, would you, you're, would you say, would you say, sorry? Yeah, no, carry on. Sorry. I was just going to say the main priority of those workouts would be looking at that, that tissue tolerance in, in and around key areas. And then a real subs uh, and then the sub part of the program would be just going a tiny tap into strength maintenance um, work, two to th- two to three sets of one key exercise done with lowish intensity, but enough just to keep the, se- uh, the floor slightly raised um, so that it doesn't drop off by, by neglecting it. Um, and then we keep that, we can keep that for eight to 12 weeks just by tapping into it, even just once a week like that. So would you say that, trying to build that little bit of strength um, for maybe one muscle group is more around, let's say, the bigger muscle groups and and sort of the isolation phase around, you know, the maintenance of the the more vulnerable areas and trying to keep that robustness um, high would be sort of more of an isolated um, movement. Oh, I think everything has a, you know, it might be an isolated movement in terms of a calf raise or a free hip lift exercise or, or a hamstring bridge exercise. You know, they're not they're not big global patterns, um, but I think there's room for some some global patterns. You know, like your single leg squats um, and your RDLs that 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 do move across multi joint um, exercises in both phases um, and in your development phase and in your pre-race phase, there's room for those those big movements. I'm not sure we need um, to be massively exerting ourselves with heavy barbell back squats and maximum effort deadlifts, um, too much and power cleans and, and work like that. I think there's a lot of, there might be a mix of two to three kind of big pattern movements in, the, in your workout and then some isolation style exercises, but they're not mm-hmm. isolation. Style and what we think of isolation style exercises they're not concentration curls on your biceps you know it's um <laughs> it's using it's using your body uh and that might be and in a way that we're targeting one key area so um in and around that free hip lift and not drop not dropping our non-stance leg hip when we're running and working on keeping that hip high so that we don't de- so that we don't increase our knee bend and therefore increase our time on the ground ground contact time when 
per stride when we're running, when we get fatigued, increasing our ability to do that, that would be considered an isolation exercise, but it's not a bodybuilding style isolation exercise. Yeah, got it. And and that kind of speaks to the question that I was just asking around, you know, those big pattern movements versus, um, we'll call them isolation, but, 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 but more the targeted specific areas of, um, of, you know, incorporating that into a program so um yeah that's you, you can't answer that which was which is awesome um a lot of people turn around and they go well i'm doing three different sports swim bike and run and there's a strength element in all of those is that enough um what's your take on that i think it phases in phases it's enough mm. but year round it's probably not enough because the overall strength work that is done within those sports is still on the endurance side. And I think we can lift the ceiling of our strength a little bit more at times through the year to allow then the strength work that we're doing across those three sports to actually increase um, and then that strength work that we're doing within the sports allows our capacity and our output to increase. Um, and where we're comfortable sitting, you know, across those three sports, the work rate that we're comfortable sitting across those three sports can can increase in time. So it's kind of like a threefold phase where you've got to you've got to actually have the strength to really optimize the strength. If all we do is work on just the strength of those three sports then we're not necessarily optimizing the, the, the readiness and the ability for that strength output. We get to a ceiling quite quickly um, and, and we're not able to lift that ceiling. We're just stuck butting our head at the ceiling. And for some, that might be enough if they've, if they've had a background in, in some strength training or at times through the year, that might be enough. But I think at times through the year, we should be trying to bust through the ceiling and lift it a bit higher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that kind of speaks to the, the term of like that progressive overload right and you know once we once we get to that that let's just call it the the mark in the sand it's like well we kind of want to go a little bit beyond that and beyond that again and, and and we can't go beyond that unless we're um making intentional movements to move in the right direction yeah and a lot of that, and a lot of that might be okay. We're doing a lot of strength work on the bike. Okay, great, that's fantastic. Our maximum strength might be quite good, um, but let's just make sure that we've got tissue tolerance with our strength and conditioning. That we're not about to break down and and, and have a hip flexor injury. We're not necessarily trying to get stronger through the patterns, but we're trying to make sure that we're looking after our hip flexors. We're looking after our hamstrings, and by doing some strength work, and that's that's the kind of almost the breakdown that's needed in, into looking at how our body is. When we say strength training, we're not talking maximum heavy reps. We're not talking trying to hypertrophy ourselves to look like Arnie, but we're talking looking after our body so that our body can handle all of the training. And then a sub part of that might be a small component where we're trying to lift the ceiling of our strength. But most of it's about looking after our body and also our making sure that we're not having flaws in our technique and our uh, and making sure that we're optimizing our body to, to have really robust running technique cycling technique swimming technique yeah i think that ro- robustness is just it's absolutely key i think you know whether we're talking sort of 
um, short course triathlon or, or at half Ironman or, or even full distance, you know, um, let's go right to the end of the spectrum where we're having to run a marathon off, um, off a 180k bike. You, you, you do want the body to be in terms of mechanically functioning. You want the robustness through most of that run. The wheels are going to fall off at some point and it's just a matter of, of how quickly they fall off and um, the severity of, of, them actually falling off but um limiting the damage is is i guess where we're going in, in that direction right yeah exactly if we can identify you know the mechanics in the style of which the wheels fall off and they will fall off on those on those iron man runs if we can identify for, for each individual where that is um and then we can go well let's create a strategy to make that uh, that the wheels fall off at the 38k mark instead of the 30k mark you know and, and by doing that, we've increased our race performance, um, not by increasing fitness, not by increasing anything, uh, anything in terms of how we actually race, just by increasing our uh, strength and robustness around our body through two short workouts a week that all of a sudden it might have saved us four or five minutes um, by identifying that strategy. Yeah, got it. Exactly. I mean, if we talk about swim, bike and run specifically, and we, we can just quickly go through each one, where do you see, you know, across the swim, the bike and the run, the most vulnerable area for, for athletes, uh, let's say, lose that robustness, you know, in the swimming and the biking and the running? I think the running's pretty, pretty an easy one to talk to. Um, maybe the swimming, there's a little bit more to it. Um, but what's your take across all three of those? And, and where do you commonly see, um, you know, I guess the best bang for buck in terms of areas of um, trying to improve that robustness? And, and furthermore to that, how, how do we do that? We can come to the how later, but, but what's the, what do you see? Yeah, so, so swimming is a prime example so, uh, for, for it where uh, our sh- obviously our shoulder girdle is doing a lot of the work. You know, glenohumeral joint is where a lot of the movements is happening. Um, but if we don't have a mobile thoracic spine, the upper part of our spine from the bottom of the ribs up to just below the base of the neck, if we're not really mobile through that and we have tight rotation, we have tight um, t- and we're, we're a little bit flexed through that area, then that can place extreme stress on the glenohumeral joint and the AC joint area as we're swimming and, you know, the shoulder girdle as we're swimming. And that can kind of cause that tight rope, uh, that, that overuse style and that rotator impingement, which I'm sure many of, many of us has, have had at some stage in our career um, where you get that shooting pain in the front of the shoulder, deep in the front of the It's a real niggle. Um, it's really hard to, to, to overcome. But if we can make sure we maintain good mobility through our thoracic spine um, while having good integrity and strength through our rotator cuff muscles and our postural muscles of our upper body, uh, I think that's a, that's a big step forward into staying really robust for your swimming performance. Yeah, cool. I, I mean, while we're on the topic of that sport, is there a is there a how that you can describe of, you know, of of how to either better that or uh, work on becoming um, less vulnerable of of that occurring? 
Yeah, so so you want to buy so part of the issue with the thoracic spine um, from from the in the issue of getting it tight and a bit bit stiff is that we we need it for the bike uh, for the run for the run and for the swim, um, but then on the bike we're kind of in that hunched flex position through the thoracic spine or can can end up in that flex position through the thoracic spine for a long period of time. So making sure that we just do simple strategies like just extension and foam rolling and stretching in the uh, of the upper body um, can really help with uh, of, of that thoracic spine extension, doing mobility exercises and rotational exercises like um, sunrise, thoracic spine sunrises. Um, they can really help with that ability. And then from there, then we can make sure that we're, have good thoracic mobility and good thoracic extension while we're doing exercises. So it might be that we're doing a one arm um, dumbbell row, but we're doing it in a plank position with our hat, with our other hand supporting hand on a bench. And we're making sure that we've got good integrity through the thoracic spine and good stability through one shoulder while we're doing a row on the other arm. It's not about the max strength of the row. It's about combining that thoracic extension with stability in one shoulder and getting a good retraction pull exercise in the other shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, a hundred percent. And you know, you talk about that. That we're all trying. We're trying to increase the range of range of movement there. You know, if, I mean, if we if we think about swimming, the more range of movement that we can get safely through the shoulder, um, essentially, the more water that we can pull. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And. Basically, you, you, yeah, you need that range of motion through the water. You need that optimal uh, stroke length. Same with running. You need the optimal stride length. Um, but you need to optimize your stroke length. Uh, and if we can have a really efficient, long, powerful stroke length, uh, that's going to help us with our, with our swimming. And we can't get that if we're tight through, one, tight through an area that we're meant to be really mobile through. So the mm. whole body has this continuum of joint stacking. And if basically every major joint from bottom to top of the body alternates between mobility and stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you, if you think about, say, the ankle, the ankle's mobility, uh, then you've got your knee, which only moves you know, back and forth, it's stability, and then you've got your hip, and that moves all around. So it's a ball and socket joint, so it's mobility. And it alternates the whole way up the body. So your thoracic spine is mobility, your AC joint is stability. Then your shoulder joint, your glenohumeral joint is mobility and your elbow is stability because it only goes forward and back. And if one of those areas that's meant to be mobile is really tight and doesn't have the mobility that it needs, then the load gets dissipated up or down the body to the next joint or the next couple of joints to try to find that mobility. And that's where an issue in an overuse issue, a niggle in the rotator cuff or a niggle in the lower back can occur is if we're really tight through the thoracic spine, then, uh, you know, we've got to find that mobility to have that good stroke length somewhere else. Yep. Yep. Totally. And, and, uh, the complete, you know, flip side of that is, is not having that and, and shortcutting ourselves and say our stroke length or, um, yeah. not being able to find that. So, and, and that, that in turn creates, um, you know, loss of power, less efficient, uh, using more energy and, and who wants to be doing, be doing that in, um, in any, any of the three sports. So, um, Hey, how about the bike? 
Yeah, so, so the bike for me is like, yeah, we're in a, a hard position for a long period of time, especially in an Ironman triathlon um, and making sure that probably the, the air, some at-risk areas is that lower back area, making sure we've got some integrity and some core strength around that. Um, and then the hips. So the hips are, you know, are designed for movement, but they're pretty, st- you know, they're pretty still when we're on the bike. Um, so, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving through our, our femur, um, a lot, uh, but there's not a lot of other movement going on. Uh, so kind of just going, well, we need to make sure that we don't o- get over tight through that area, uh, that we have good range of motion through the hips, that we open up our hips, internal and external rotation, uh, that we have ability to, um, maintain, learn how to maintain neutral spine, under load and under 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 exertion by doing things like dead bugs and bird dogs and how to activate our core and around that i think that's a real key um key component for that lower back for and for cycling um is that bird dog bird dog strength dead bug strength uh payoff hold strength just that ability to make sure that we're nice and secure through the core region through the lumbar region um and then also making sure that we've got good mobility through the hips. The cycling work in itself does huge amounts of strength for the, for the quads. Um, but we also just need to make sure that, yeah, we're, that we're looking at other areas that it might not be doing massive work for, like the hamstrings um, and like the glutes and, like, and, and, and making sure that the, the kind of all that cycling load, which puts a huge amount of strain on the hip flexors, that we balance out and we go, we make sure that, okay, there's a lot of load going through the hip flexors. We need to make sure we don't get overly tight through the hip flexors because if we get overly tight through the hip flexors, that's going to pull on our hips when we're running and we're not going to be able to get in good running positions. So it's about making sure the, the work that's done on the bike doesn't detriment the running work. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, there's a, there's a good crossover between the bike and the run in terms of, let's say, if we, we, we're targeting specific areas through uh, maintenance and a strength program for, let's say, particularly on the, on the bike, there's a really good crossover with the running. But I think also holistically and, and globally speaking, it's, it's the same across all three. You know, there's, there's an element of, you know what we just talked about in the swimming which applies to you're going to see benefits in the bike you know we're in we're in quite a tight position on those aero bars the shoulders are quite crunched over so there's work that you that we're targeting specifically for swimming that that will see performance gains or or help aspects of of the bike and similarly with the the bike and the run so i think it's global in that respect would you agree yeah everything kind of helps the next thing so you know it's it's not that just doing some work is going to help just the swim. It's going to help globally by doing that thoracic, by having that mm. open thread line and the good good um, rotator cuff strength, external rotator cuff strength. It's going to help uh, the run by have, by working on your core control and your core stability and your hip mobility that's needed in the bike. You know, so it's it's, it's it all plays into each other's yep. hands and you know especially you know thinking on that bike where you are hunched over and you are in that aerodynamic position that's slightly often slightly internally rotated through the shoulders which can can create that impingement 
in the swim if we if we don't look after ourselves properly and and work on kind of balancing that out a little bit through the strength work um so the strength work can help you know it's one one hand feeds the other type thing yeah nice yeah absolutely and i mean getting to the run where this is the last sport it's the the last draw to get home to the finish line it's quite often the one where you see the most form lost the quickest um across whatever distance it is um and it's it's a probably pretty easy one to talk to but where do you see the most um area of of loss in terms of robustness and functionality and and movement yeah it's just that it's it really is the running mechanics um and breakdown of running mechanics causing increased ground contact time um not ideal cadence of stride length uh, and there's multiple things that are coming into play with that. You know, we've got fatigue, we've got um, in it, we've got kind of your nutrition and and making what you're putting into your body through the through the race. You've got the effects of the hunched over on the bike where your your hip flexors might be getting a little bit tight. Um, so there's so many things which can which can cause can help attribute to it. Um, but then we've also got trying to run with really nice efficient mechanics nice relaxed shoulders movement through the thoracic spine um and then the hips making sure that we're not getting that hip dropping um our, our free hip our non-stance leg hip dropping as we're as we're going through our stride because uh, if we do that then we're going to spend a lot more ground contact uh, time on the ground and we're going to bend through the knee more, which is going to increase the muscular load of literally every single step. And we think it when we're thinking, days, <laughs> that's you know, forty-two thousand ish steps or yeah. forty-six thousand. Um, you know, uh, so it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of steps that we've got to that we've got to get through. And if every single step is even 0.1 percent harder, that adds up over the race. Yeah, a hundred percent, mate. And um, I think you know. Yeah, that, that's, that's so true. And the, the swimming around, you know, efficiency is is massive. And I, and I think it's underestimated how much efficiency can be gained in the running as well. Um, you know, there can be at, so, at, at the point in time so much energy spent, unnecessary energy spent uh, in running that, you know, the whole mechanics, if, if you can free some efficiency up in that, then the performance gain from that is actually a lot more than what we think. Yeah, exactly, and and like I said, if, if we're point one percent off with um with our mechanics for every step, that's that that adds up to a huge load. But if we're ideal on every step, or we're we're optimizing, you know, every step and our efficiency in every step, then that's a huge win. Um, and I think that's where conditioning can really help with with the running um running performance overall is going. Okay, yeah, we're still going to hit a wall. We're still going to break down at some stage. But can we not break? Is it? Can we make sure that we're not breaking down through something that's quite controllable through through twenty minutes of low work a week, uh, twice a week? Uh, can we? Can we? That's that seems pretty controllable to me. It's not going to fatigue us for any of our sessions. Can we optimize our strength work in and around that to go? Well, instead of breaking down at the thirty k mark, I'm now breaking down at the thirty eight k mark and and I haven't got any fitter, that's just through something that's really controllable for me. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I mean, all of this sounds amazing, 
it's epic and um, it's it's comprehending. But um, my question to you is how do how do you as a strength and conditioning coach and if you're working with an athlete, how do you fit this into an athlete's program and and how might that look, you know, in a typical, let's say, swim, bike, run week? Um, you know, how would you typically put that in there and, and where would these sessions fall? Yeah, so I think the mobility stuff is is a is a daily looking after your body thing that I think um most triathletes are, are really good at. So I think that's that's just a needs to look after yourself um from 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 that mobility side of things. Make sure that we're just undoing the long positions that we're that we're stuck in on the bike and just opening up our thoracic spine after that and, and opening up our hips and doing some some good work in and around our hips. Um and I think that's just a five minute looking after your body a day type thing. Can be longer. Um, but you know it doesn't it doesn't need to be four hours a day. Um it, it can be it, it can be as short <laughs> as four or five a day to to, to re- just to really help help with that. Um once we've got that side of things settled in, we've just got to look for basically two opportunities a week where we're not going to fatigue, where we're not going to hinder a key session. So if it's on the so ideally I wouldn't be doing it on the day of a key session. Those key sessions are your key sessions, and you want to just get the most out of those key sessions. But on a, on a session where you're doing a, a zone two type session, um, or, or one or two zone two type training days sessions in that day that could be the opportunity to go yeah I think we can fit 40 minutes of strength work or 15 minutes of strength work if we're in the final six to 12 weeks before a race um in in this phase uh and I think yeah can we can we achieve that yes is it going to affect our energy balance for the day not really is it going to be is it going to affect our next session not really um can we do it as a warm-up for the next session probably um you know if, if you have you got other stuff if you got other commitments if you got uh you know if you don't have two lots of 40 minutes through the week do you have four lots of 20 minutes um mm. through just to do three or four or half a program each time um we can we can get there in many ways there's just a bunch of things that a bunch of exercises that I think are really key for um, optimizing that economy of running and economy of movement and lifting the ceiling a little bit without taxing the system too much and I think we've just got to find a way that sits and fits in with each athlete's individual system uh, if you're a professional triathlete your your time availability is is different if you're a, a father of for working full-time got it yeah and I, I think that that was really my takeaway or, or one of the big takeaways I think um, when we connected and we started working together is actually that it doesn't need to be this big 90-minute session scheduled into your week uh, two or three times a week and, and you need to block it out here and there it's like actually it, it just needs to be efficient and and structured and extremely diligent in, in what you're doing. And it can look as, as short as 20 minutes, yeah. uh, either a warm-up or uh, a, a warm-up to, to an easier session, or it might fall on a lighter day where you have, you know, not as heavy a load. Um, but I think the key takeaway from there is, is trying to just not necessarily keep it away, but um, not have it fall on the same days as, as like you said, your, your key sessions. Yeah, well, you know, not not directly before, not before your key session. If you've done your key session in the morning that day and you've got a 
afternoon cool go and go and do your gym um it's not going to take yep. away at all it's not going to add add anything it's not going to decrease your recovery um but don't do it in the morning of your key session at 6 a.m on the morning if your key session is going to be done at 8 that 8 a.m that morning um yep. is is more let's just let's just save our key sessions to optimize our key sessions because ultimately the sport is the sport of the three sports <laughs> you know it's it's you've yeah. got to get good at the swim <laughs> not a it's not a strength and conditioning sport component it's not a, it's not we, it doesn't matter how many calf raises we can do um but all of that stuff helps us optimize those three sports 100 percent, mate yep exactly um probably cool. I'll, I'll so quickly with that is i think uh if you know if you are wanting to optimize your time i think one or two you can you know you can one thing that is a is a hindrance is the whole driving to a gym you know yeah i'm saying a 20 minute workout or a 40 minute workout but if the gym's 20 minutes away then that's a that 40 minute workout now becomes an hour 20 and that's harder to fit into your routine um so so finding either a location that's really close or making some small investment in one or two things that you can use at home um or optimizing just to optimize your time so that then you do get your strength work done um, could be really beneficial. Yeah, and that's that's what I love about your work, Scott, is that you're completely practical around what you program as well. And, you know, you just touched on it there and of exactly what I'm moving into my next question to you. And, and that'll, we'll get to the end there of, of wrapping things up. But I mean, um, you know, how do you, how do you ensure people know what this program looks like, you know, I guess that was one of the, the not problems, but that's, that's what I struggled with when we first started working together is we had a, an amazing plan and, and all these things, but how do I, how do I know, how does an athlete know what they need to be doing? Um, some maybe, maybe small changes that they need to make to their program um, and, and kind of how do you deliver that uh, in, in the best effect for the athlete? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give the athlete video demonstrations of every exercise and one or two key points within every exercise that, that I program. Um, I'll make sure that the exercises that I'm programming, while I'm, I'm looking for that minimum effective dose, it needs to be the minimum effective dose for that athlete and, and their constraints. So if you're training at home, I need to find a constraint that allows you to train at home. If you're driving to a gym, I need to find a constraint that allows you to do it at a gym. And I need to make sure that we're optimizing your time. Um, I deliver I, I deliver my programs through an app-based platform where the athletes can easily communicate back and forth. And, you know, we have video links and stuff like that. Um, they're pretty common, those app-based platforms nowadays. But it's not necessarily around the platform. It's around making sure that, what you're doing is is ideal for you and that you're doing it well there's no point in jumping in and um, doing the exercise if you're not going to do it well so I'll either catch up with the athletes to show them through the workout or I'll get them to video um, themselves and and load those videos so that we can optimize um, optimize that movement you know we don't want to be uh, spending time doing work that's not beneficial so if we're doing the work, if, you, if the athletes are prepared to do the work, I'm prepared to make sure that they're doing it properly and that it's going to um, enhance their enhance their performance and enhance their growth. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, I speak speak to that again. It's just, 
you're practical around your delivery of expectations and also the means of communication is is completely realistic and it's uh it's efficient for both you know from from your perspective as well as the athlete's perspective from what i've experienced and i'm sure every other athlete that you're working with um at the moment so yeah that that's amazing mate. i mean you've you've touched on some fantastic points and um i hope that there is well there is absolutely takeaways there in in every aspect that you've talked about um hey how do how do people get in touch with you how can they find you and and sort of where do that how do they go about getting in, getting in contact with you uh look all you got to do is just kind of uh, it's just flick me an email um or, or search scott logan conditioning um i can um provide my email it's it's just scottlogan.conditioning at gmail.com um that's easy simple way to get in touch with me or just go on the web and search Scott Logan conditioning or on social media platforms and search the same um, available to, for anyone to reach out and, and help them with their journey. Um, you know, it's as a, I, I find it a privilege to work with, work with athletes that are dedicated towards or whether it be uh, someone like yourself at the ultimate top level or someone just trying to optimize their health and well-being. Um, you know, I, I, I like working with the spectrum and just trying to help people in any way I can. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Scotty. I mean, the content that you put out on your social platforms as well is, is fantastic just to scroll through and, and have a bit of a nosy and get a, a reminder and a refresh and some, some ideas around what you're doing. And, um, so that that's awesome, which is available on your social media platforms. What I do like, um, Scott, particularly is, you know, I can just flick your message, tell you where I'm at, what phase, what stage I'm at, uh, whether it be, you know, six weeks before a race, eight weeks before a race, or actually we're in sort of a reverse sort of periodization at the moment. And we've, we've got a bit of time to play with here and you just deliver the goods in terms of a program um, that is totally uh, suitable to, to where I'm at. So um massive you know it's been fantastic working with you and, and I'm, I'm i'm stoked that you've you've jumped on here and we've had a bit of a chat and hopefully there's um there's some takeaways for, for anyone whether they're at the elite level or or more of the lifestyle uh athlete that is you know hoping to be better than they were um but it's been awesome mate thank you so much for your time and oh, really um, we look we look forward to checking in soon yeah, really appreciate you uh, bringing me on your platform and um, thank you very much. Cool, bud. We'll talk soon. Talk soon.